two. Hello and welcome to um, the Atchison's Lounge. I'm joined today um, by Dr. Philip Blood, who has uh, accepted um, a field promotion to OCJ4. You'll get a second port. Um, it stood behind the bar. Um, your 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 um, your new rate of pay will be sent to you. Please also note that the mess bill has gone up in accordance um, <laughs> with your with with your new rate of pay. You may find you might be a little bit out more out of pocket than you were as uh, OC Rail. Uh, not to worry. It's this the way the military works. You'll get used to it, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that money to change this shirt. Am I? It's always going to be the same shirt because I've got yeah, every. every... Look, don't don't wash that with me. For all I know, you could have several of those. <laughs> yeah, 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 readers, listeners, readers, listeners, just just to uh, get rid of any. No, there's no way on God's green <laughs> there could be several of the same. Well, I know there might have been, um, but I don't think a man would want to buy five of the same that same pattern shirt. Though, um, Phil, lovely to have you back, chap. Good evening. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see, I, I, I had this conversation earlier with somebody. You know, we may, but we may be the junior service, but we're also the finest. And then there's a reason. <laughs> well, up, up until a, a certain ACM sent a tweet out yesterday that was absolute word soup. <sighs> I, I, yeah, what? Disruptors? No, disruptors got negative connotations. Why would you put that in something that's about innovation? An invention. Oh, we're disruptors. And we might, have you ever seen Gracie and Frank, Frankie and Gracie? No. Oh, it's brilliant. It, 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 it's it's on Netflix. Two ladies, their husbands leave them because the husband's moving together. Um, and they start their own business. It's got Jane Fonda in and somebody else whose name I can't remember, which is absolutely criminal. But they go, they start their own business and they go to this startup thing. And the guy goes, I'm a disruptor. <laughs> so what does that mean? He said, well, you say taxi, I say Uber. You say B&B, I say Airbnb. She went, well, that's just renaming stuff. Yeah, that's what disruptors do. <laughs> I thought, and, and, and then the best, then the crunch point, how much is your services? $500 an hour. Oh, okay, right, yeah, all right, fair enough then. Um, so yes, so yes, I'm I'm Biggles, but I'm I'm Biggles of the old school. Biggles, who's read the JSP on service communications, as well as the uh, GS government communication service guidelines. They have a wonderful section called Weasel Words, which I love. <laughs> I thought the Royal Air Force didn't have gobbledygook, but now they've institutionalised gobbledygook. Yeah, I I I just like to think the individual concerned. <laughs> actually gave somebody rather stupidly his password to Twitter and said, say that we're really good and it's really space agey, but don't involve pictures of people in silver, screenshots from space 1999 or pictures of us looking heroically up to the stars. Personally, their own. Right, yeah, chief, leave it with me. And there's been this threat, which, and you know what? I'm not going to apologise for. It was bloody awful. What were you thinking, man? You're... You, it was it was the sort of language that a startup tech firm would use who would probably only last about three weeks. It's not something that I think sometimes the military try to be like big business or business in general. Um, we don't use language like that in business. If I went to the bank and started talking about that to them, they'd be on the phone to the local health authority. Got a fella here. I think he might have had too much sun. He's talking ever so strange. Well, the only bit I understood, I didn't understand a lot of it, but... <laughs> This is the point. You're a doctor. Roland Barth would have had a field day with that. Well, it was that comment about being 20th century innovators, which struck me as odd because I thought the innovators were the aircraft designers and the army and the navy who took the designs in in the first place. So it just seemed a roundabout odd way of saying we were designed by somebody else who left us with innovation. <laughs> and then I started thinking, why on earth would any idiot say that kind of thing? And then I looked, and it's got chief of the air staff, and I thought, oh my god! <laughs> well, the thing was, the thing was, when you when you actually you, you sat down and think, like, 
I was in the Air Force and you had to learn about air power. They didn't always go on about air power, but they do now think, well, I thought they did. I thought, if you don't even know how your own service, the service that you're representing was actually formed and where it was formed from and where it had its genesis, this is a really bad showing, mate. And then, like you say, you know, we, we, we came about from the Royal Engineers, uh, Fleet Air Arm, um, and then, you know, Royal Flying Corps. The, you know, the, the only thing the Air Force designed per se was was Whittle's engine. Okay. But, you know, they somebody sat down, the Royal Air Force, you know, uh, up to the, you know, that I can think of. I'm sure there's been loads of little innovations that we've done. But we're not, the Air Force, like you say, we're the end user. <laughs> and, and, you know, it goes through your mind, doesn't it? You think First World War, Avro 504, Sopwith Camel, Biggles, all that stuff. And you're looking at it thinking, where? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is the best thing. This is the absolute pinnacle, right, of pulling apart this 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 argument that we the Air Force have been these innovators. A chap called Fokker approached Royal Flying Corps. I've got a really good plane. Do you want it? No, no, we're all right, mate. No, 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 we don't. No, 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 no. no we, we're all right with our service revolvers. But it can do. No, no, no. Look, we said, yeah, thank you ever so much. Uh, there's some chaps, chaps over there. They, they might. You know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to speak to the people. <laughs> yeah, that's great innovation there, lads. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we're driving around in Fiesta Popular Pluses. The guy with the XR3 eyes just walked off. <laughs> Yeah, innovation can't beat it. <laughs> and it's and it and, and it was thus for the next thirty years until they finally realised that actually, you know, the, the guys who are designing it really do know what they're gassing on about now. Uh, you know, that Mitchell chap, uh, he makes flying boats. Ah, but does he? <laughs> <laughs> but I the stuff was because he's like, is he droning on and describing what he's not talking? actually talking about those drones that fly around and blow people up because if they those ones then what's he telling us that's new but, but this is now this is even funnier that <coughs> i shouldn't say it's funnier because it's not this is quite a serious point when you start talking about drones um and there was a i went to a leadership conference a couple of years ago and the question of drones and the ethic ethical use of drones came up and at this point the americans are using drones to, to, to take out a gnat at 2,000 2, miles away because it happened to be annoying a four-star general somewhere. You know, they were quite, quite adept at using 40Ks worth of Maverick missile to take out an errant spider or something like that. Um, <laughs> so this, this, you know, and, and, and the RAF were like, well, we're not terribly sure about this. And all of a sudden we've gone from this to, yes, this is what we do. We disrupt with drones and some other words that came along that I, but surely, what yeah, you actually yeah. do is somebody who uses a PS4, describe what they do with their handset console, to describe what they do with a drone, and just say, well, you know, we do stuff, mate. You know, we kill a load of people, and then we start up again, and that's it. But all of what he was saying kind of struck me as he's trying to be technical, or a techie, and didn't appear to know what he was talking about, because... <laughs> It was all so bloody confused. <laughs> the first thing when you're, or when you're when you're being taught to do an MBA, as I did at business school, you're the first thing you have to be is clear with your language and getting across your message. Nobody wants to have a business, you know. Obviously, management consultants want to write a whole load of tripe, you know, document to justify their existence. But people who employed it, usually MBAs in a business sense, they have to be fairly efficient because nine times out of ten, you're in a situation where the business is under pressure and you have to be able to get your com communicate yourself. So when you're looking at this, this series of things, you're thinking, who on earth would come up? <laughs> it, it flies in the face, doesn't it, of the KISS principle? Of communication, and and what Albert Einstein said: if you can't explain it clearly, then and simply, then you don't understand it. And yes, I'm, I'm sure it, I'm, I'm sure someone somewhere read that and thought, oh, 
this is interesting. There will be one person who will have read that and gone, well, might be two or three. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, I'm going to contemplate. Meanwhile, the rest of us are giving it, you what? And, and it's that age-old thing is that you put a record on, and if you're not captivated in the first five to ten seconds, that record is binned. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same process with modern communications. You know, with, with, with this sort of corporate PR stance, you don't grab people's attention by using a uh, word with negative connotations in your first sentence when you're trying to promote a service. And you certainly don't overcomplicate it. Like you said, it'd be better off saying, we've got drones, we use um, some cyber techie sort of stuff, the two come together and it works. But, okay. it's, not, but, it, but it's not like the British military have not had a whole, what, thousand years of telling us how military stuff works and why justify themselves. I mean, it's like written into national lingo, if you like. It's the lingua franca of Britain. You know, we deliver stuff, we do it commercially and we do it militarily and we're fairly good at killing people. So, you know, why isn't the Royal Air Force saying, well, you know, we know what we're doing, we know how to do it and we can deliver it whenever we need to be asked to be deliver it. But with with that, I didn't even see what the, what was the mission? What's the, what? I don't I don't know. I wanted to cry because I don't know what he was talking about. You know, business people have this problem with mission statements because they don't know they don't know how to define their business. But you'd think with Biggles, well, big Biggles, you'd think. <laughs> what's the, what's the, what's the mission? What's the what, mission? What, what, what we needed? We needed, <laughs> we needed somebody. We needed. We needed sort of Peter, Sir Peter Squires, you know, Uncle Norman. He was a great communicator. Air power. It, it, it was like, um, you know, it was like a scene from Father Ted. But, you know, air power. That's what we're about. We're about air power. Yeah, air power. Uh, that, that was a moment when you needed somebody like in the Black Adder one where they he's really confused and there's that whole description and Black Adder just cuts him short. You actually need a Black Adder moment in some of these things because they, they, that was just well, it was just so actually it was really rather sad to be honest. The, the thing is, this is going to be one of those tweets that's going to be used <clears throat> as case as a case study for poor communication. You could, at the moment he pressed send, that, that, that you know it popped up. I thought I could dine out on this for years. I could literally deliver an entire lecture on on this tweet. I could invoke the, the spirit of Bath. I could invoke you know the spirit of Berger. I could invoke all, all these great writers. <laughs> And like you say, you know, the military has to be accessible in in, in more ways than 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 anything. It's great if you're writing that for a closed for a closed audience um, <clears throat> in, in a secure room somewhere. That's the sort of thing they like because yeah, they they, they like that sort of terminology. But Joe Bloggs, who's possibly looking at the, joining the air force, is going to take one look at that, or their son, or their daughter isn't giving it. Good God, is that the standard of leadership? <laughs> they can't even write clearly. No. No, I'm sorry. That's it. Off to Northern Dairies for you, my son. He <laughs> just, it was. Oh, what were you thinking? You just wanted, you want to say why? You know, it almost came across. You know, the way you're talking about it now, it almost sounds like it was actually one of those um, call centres. You know, when you go, when your computer doesn't work, and you ring up, and somebody gives you a whole load of gobbledygook. And at the end, he says, pull out the plug. <laughs> and you think, wow, that, that's so technical. That's so innovative. Pull out the plug. Disruptor. <laughs> Disruptor. Disruptor. <laughs> Disruptor. Disrupt yourself. Drone yourself. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, because uh, but it, it just went, it was, you know, I, I could sit and, and, and really go in depth into this and, and, and try and work out what he was trying to... I know what he was trying to say, but he was trying to be a smart-ass by doing it, and he, and it's backfired on him. And then that's the worst bit. It's because it's been picked up on by so many people, especially you know people like us within the mill Twitter sphere and people who do mill speak. We're like, what? And we're not stupid people. Some of us, you know, not, not me, by the way, some of us can lead entire battle groups 
after drinking half a bottle of Taylor's. It's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people have that. But I think, and, and when you've got people who I know can do that, saying, what is this? Tripe. What is this nonsense? We've got a problem, Houston. <laughs> and, and, and I know one or two of them. Well, last time I checked, they're reasonably sharp people. But I think it's going to come up in a in a, in a few organisational circles that I'm in where the people are going to, they're going to be looking at this for some time and going, when something that was meant to be good could go so horribly wrong, look at this. And the worst bit is, you know the Americans are going to be looking at this too. <laughs> well, everybody's going to be looking at it, aren't they? And they you know. <laughs> and you, 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 there, there is, there is, there is a, a USAF general out there Breathing a big sigh of thinking, that's not me. That's the thing with influence, isn't it? You measure, measure your influence carefully um, and remember where your influence is. And for God's sake, don't balls it up. <laughs> well, just how badly can you deliver a message? You know, you might as well go and bomb the foreign, you know, it's, it's bomb some other city. I mean, yeah, I mean, no. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the, the, uh, everything that's going to come to that individual's way in terms of leg pulling is richly deserved. <laughs> I, I, Somebody said to me I should look at it in a different way, like it, it was a sexed up message. So I assume a female air chief of staff because clearly they communicate better than the men. And this is the point, isn't it? Ladies do. Ladies do communicate. I mean, look at your mother. My mother, she wants something done. I know what she wants doing. I know when she wants it doing. And I know how long I've got to do it. My dad, he, he, oh, well, he, oh, yeah. He was a real one for that. It's a bloke thing, isn't it? Why communicate simply when you can make yourself look really intelligent by complicating the message? <laughs> yeah, but I just kind of think now we've got to a stage where we ought to let women play with the toys and the be the chief of staff because they don't they don't get carried away like guys you know oh let's go and bomb that city because it looks that would be really fun let's go do that ladies are a lot more considered well maybe that's not a good idea to do so we'll have a discussion about it and work out what the targets are and there's a i have a sense of confidence that women in the in the services seem to be i don't know less bra less brassy and less attackful you know they're more instead i don't know it's only my what i see but the modern female service what you know service personnel seem to be a little bit more down to earth they they are and i i've met um you know and been very lucky to work with, with several um female service stuff and <clears throat> And without doubt, you know, they're, they're, they're very easy going. I mean, if you look at these current um, RAFAC um, commandant over at Cranwell, Air Commodore Soraya Marshall, um, very relaxed. And she relaxes people around her. She's very good at that. Uh, I've met her a couple of times. Um, I mean, but, then, you know, Peter Squire, he was equally good. He was very good at that. <clears throat> but then, you know, conversely, I've, worked, I've met one star's... Um, <clears throat> and even field officers who, as, as men, just you, where where's your interpersonal skills? Where you know, where, and and there have been times you have to scratch your head. Um, and I suppose this is almost leading us quite nicely what we're going to discuss today. Well, I think <clears throat> so. I think so. <clears throat> um, start, or do you want to open? Well, I'll, 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 I'll go first up to the crease. Um, if you could, I'll, I'll make sure I rinse the box out and the Jay's fluid on the way out. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, it's young farmer's cricket rules today, I'm afraid. I'm not I'm not a cricket fan. No, it... <laughs> <Hang> <laughs> mind, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, um, rounders on Valium. Yeah, <laughs> Valium, that's it. That's, that's probably the best way. To, uh, yeah, cricket. No. Um, <clears throat> so the, the reason why this is sort of leads nicely um, is that today, Phil and I are going to be talking about. It's almost two subjects in one. We're going to be looking at um, the role of the RAF and in, in the wars, predominantly bomber command, who 
had their uh, 80th anniversary of their founding yesterday. I believe, was it? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. 80th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. 80th anniversary. Um, <clears throat> as well as being the anniversary of the Ocken Air Raid of the 14th of July, um, which I'll, I'll let, let do the, Phil do the lead on that particular one. And, and, and there is a common denominator between the two, and this is um, a gentleman who's commonly known um, as Bomber Harris, Sir Arthur Harris. Um, and Phil suggested we discuss this because this is, and this is a point I'm happy to sort of make, and I'm sure Phil will back me up. When we discuss military history, we have to discuss it objectively. We, we cannot afford to look through it through rose-tinted spectacles, flag waving and all this. We have to actually look at, 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 at the political elements of it because, as Klaus Fitz said, war is a continuation of politics by other means. And as historians, we have to acknowledge that and we have to look into that. I, I hope I've introduced that succinctly enough. Fair enough. I mean, obviously, you know that I'm not a Klaus Fitzian, and I'm not really, it's never really been my cup of tea, but I think you, you, you put the the uh, the point across of what we're going to talk tonight uh, tonight about. Uh, what I would add is the story of Arkan is unusual because it pushes it pushes our history of the Second World War into military culture and social history in a way that wasn't apparent when I first started to look at the bombing and. Just to keep, or just to give an impression of what I mean by this, I put together a few slides, <clears throat> which uh, we, we, we hope go well with the podcast. And the aim is to look at various aspects of the raid through these individual slides. And the first one is obviously the Avro's Lancaster ads. The second one is local history and how local history is either included or excluded from the main <clears throat> the main narratives. Um, the third is Bomber Harris, uh, Sir Arthur Harris. Then we're looking at um, some literature and the difference between academic scholarly studies of bombing history and the more the, the novel the the, um, the fictional side through Len Dighton. And then at the end, I put a slide together, which is really a, a confusion of images with an intention to say that within every story, there is another story. And within that story, there's yet another story. And that is the basis of what Arkham July 1943 means to me. Initially, I thought it was just another fire raid but in fact it was the point when the whole thing changed not only from the perspective of what had happened before the raid but the way raiding then changed and the way it impacted on Arkan and what followed with the siege of Arkan and then its occupation in 1944. So should we start at the beginning? <coughs> Pardon me, yes I, th I think and you know, just just before we start, thank you ever so much for drawing all, all of these images together. Uh, there will be a, a link uh, to Phil's uh, Twitter page um, with with these images in, and I do recommend you having taking a good look, taking a moment to have a good look at these because they're they're beautifully selected. So thank you for doing that, Phil. It's a re really is appreciated. Well, no, I am the worst artist in the world. Apart <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to alcohol. <laughs> in this artistry, I dis I thought, well, to keep to the theme, because we had artistry before when we looked at the um, Martinsburg raid and the painting by um, American artist. Here we've got opening with four um, drawings or artworks which were created in the 1940s. And they're interesting because they depict an impression of what the bomber meant to Avros and how Avros wanted to set an ideal for their bomber. Now, 
I'm sure you have a an interpretation of these pictures now. So I'll start and then you can you yep. can uh, come in. So I think we'll start with the Manchester. And the reason why that Manchester picture's there is it's the last page of five pages written by Roy Chadwick explaining why the design of the Lancaster was the way it was. And what intrigued me about that Avro advert is it's not so much the fact that it's the Manchester, it's the fact that the Manchester was put at the very end of the article. So you have Roy Chadwick explaining the differences between the Manchester and the Lancaster, but at the same time explaining that the Manchester was not derived from the Lancaster. It was a completely separate aeroplane. But Avros have insisted at putting the art, putting the advert at the back. Now, I think you have an opinion about that picture. I, I do. I, <clears throat> I think aesthetically, I, I like it. It has that sort of, it, it appeals to me. Um, it's a pleasing image, you know. They, they've included three Manchester's, and I said before, you know, this is the, the the. It looks like it's flying away from a setting sun. So, you know, Chadwick, Chadwick is discussing his his new design, this 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 improved um, aircraft, the, the the Lancaster. And what a way to end it! <clears throat> you you literally have its predecessor, short lived as it was, the Manchester, sort of flying away from the sun, going into its dotage, as it were, going into retirement, early retirement, gracefully. Um, and the inclusion of three is, is exceptionally interesting because it's a balanced number. <clears throat> you know, it, it, three is the magic number, you, you know, the trinity, as it were. Um, and, and it's almost sort of adding a, a, a mystical, it's, it's, it's drawing a mystique around the Manchester. Um, as it flies off into the into the horizon to, to make way for, the, for its bigger brother. And, I, you know, <clears throat> very cleverly done. And, 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 and what is interesting is that your eye is not drawn to the aircraft, but actually to the sunset behind it, which I find quite unique. The more you look at it, you more think the aircraft's just there. It's not really the focus. The focus is the dark clouds and the light breaking through the dark clouds. You could speak for hours on something like this. See, one thing that occurred to me, and I'm not an artist by any stretch of imagination, but that picture was drawn about five months after the bombing of Manchester. And at the time, everybody said this was Manchester. So here's the Manchester, which, funny enough, during the bombing was severely damaged. <clears throat> one of the reasons why they had to look at the future of the bomb, the, the, the Manchester bomber, was because the one of the main um, setups with all the jigs was um, in uh, Metrovix, and Metrovix had been bombed, and, the, and that particular bomber had been severely damaged in the December 25th, I think it was, 24th, 25th bombing of Manchester by the Luftwaffe. So to actually have that image there with the dark clouds and the Manchester coming out of them may well reflect how people in Manchester felt about what had happened. It's just a thought. And, and you know what, now we, when you add that to the image, to that particular image, that particular painting, yeah, you know, it, it, it's one of those pictures I think that could speak for a lot of, speak out to a lot of people. Um, but in this case, I think you know you're spot on. We rise above. Uh, and, and I think if you're an employee who'd been affected by that raid, you would look at that and say, yeah, this this is us. We can do this. We can get through this. And we have grown stronger. The, the strength being inferred by by Chadwick's sort of preamble about the new new Lancaster. Um, but now, the second picture, mm -hmm. it's the Lancaster itself flying oh, yeah. overhead. And... The, the, the comment is the latest bomb weighs 12,000 pounds. Now, what struck me by this picture is you're not looking at it from above about to drop that 12,000 pounds of bomb. <laughs> it's the fact that you're looking up. And the thought that came straight to my mind was, 
That's the last thing you're ever going to see. <laughs> <laughs> when that thing comes down, you're done. There's nothing subtle at all about that image. There's no, there's no hint of subtlety. It does what it says on the tin. If you break it down to science signifier signified, yeah. Big bomber, overhead, flying away from me. What's that? <laughs> you dropped something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Son, come and, and I think it's absolutely stunning. And and again, you know, it's quite cleverly thought out. You know, as we were saying in, in, in our sort of discussion beforehand, that <clears throat> when 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 the mark sort of the, the modified Mark Three has dropped these these big sort of twelve thousand pounder, they would literally sort of jump in the air a thousand feet. We, get rid of the load so literally the only th the last thing you would literally see is a silhouette platform of the bottom of the lancaster and you're thinking gosh he seems to be climbing rather quickly <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's such a stunning picture really isn't it it's very cleverly done and like you say it, it's 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 beautiful i'm not sure is it a photograph or is it well it i can't tell no, I mean, they're so well drawn. They like they like photographs that have been then drawn into the picture. It, it reminds me of some of the stuff by you know the the, the early fashion designers, people like Leslie Solberg. Um, you know that you have that sort of nineteen thirties feel, very much so because you know nothing's really progressed in terms of illustration and graphic design. But it also it's a great way of showing how big the Lancaster was. And how powerful it was, you know, what it was capable of doing. What better way to show it than the in, in plan form? Yes. So then we go to the third one, which um, is an interesting way of comparing, of, of bringing, of marrying the Royal Air Force with the Lancaster bomber and using the term "the dawn of a new day." And I think you had an, an observation about the cat badge. Yeah, and it literally is this, and this is this is very much a personal observation. That um, the thing that personally show me, you know, straight away you you have the the officer's cat badge at front and centre. You know, um, most pilots were commissioned, but then you have the, the 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 feather quills that also appear on the warrant officer's cat badge either side. You know, giving a, a hint at um, at this point, you know, a lot of lot of the the bomber. Fly, flying sort of NCOs were warrant officers at this point of the war. There was, there were flight sergeants. Don't get me wrong, but I think predominantly most of the, most of these young men had been promoted to uh, warrant officers. So it's a nod to both the commissioned and, and the not and the senior non commissioned um, flyers of the air force. And actually, it, it's delicately done because it, it, you know the image itself is split in half, isn't it? You've got sort of the lights of the new day, and then. Within the darkness, prowling is the Lancaster. Those are interesting words too, aren't they? A tribute to the victorious Royal Air Force from, yeah. the, from the makers of the Lancaster bomber. It, isn't it just? Because it, it, it's sort of saying that, with, yes, we, you've been victorious, you, you've done, you, you've achieved air superiority. How they measured that victory, would have, I would imagine, would have been you have air superiority. Um, and it's not just from AV Row; it's from all of the all of the people who made it. They're not the designers; it's the makers. Um, and every every sort of backstreet alley producing bakelite switches to main factories producing fuselage parts and wing spars. Everyone is saying thank you, and that's that's quite a that's quite a big gesture because Alvaro could have, and, and more than reasonably, taken the full accolade of that and said, you know from the designers of the Lancaster Bomber. But they've chosen not to do that. Very very egalitarian of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the last one uh, <clears throat> looks like it's just come out of a commando magazine. Uh, oh, it's brilliant. cover of a commando magazine with, the, with, a, with a bomb. Well, actually, not commando. The best ones were the Air Ace Picture Library. I don't know if you remember them. But this one is a Lancaster actually in action bombing a factory. And what got me about this was, this is actually an action picture intended to show that the bombers are going to bomb the workplaces, similar workplaces to where the people who manufacture these aircraft are working. And it's an interesting, con <laughs> it's an interesting statement 
that they bombed us, so we're going to bomb them. But it's also a deeper statement of, and I'm just wondering how it was appreciated at the time, that maybe at some point all this bombing of, of uh, working class people would have a, how would you put it? It would come back, um, it wouldn't work long term. I don't know, I'm, I, I'm searching for the words, I just don't, I don't know how that would be taken in 1946. I, I, I think, you know, there are several ways to look at this, isn't it? You know, you, you've got Harris himself who said, we, you know, we, the Germans are reaping what they, reaping what they sowed uh, early on in the war, you know, when he was referring to the, 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 the targeting of, of civilian populations. And I think you're right. I think by 19, by definitely by mid 1945, by the July period, the because we had victory in Europe, interest was waning now, and people just wanted it done. But they wanted it done quickly. And I, I think this sort of wanton destruction wouldn't have been tolerated. I mean, because people, the other thing is, you know, socially we we were becoming better informed, and that's the other thing. You know, we 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 had a media that was catching up. And I'm not saying it, the media exposure was the same that followed 50 years later in the first Gulf War, but it was definitely becoming um, a war where we were becoming more, as it progressed, we had more awareness of what was going on. We had more awareness of, of the destruction. And like you say, and, and I think there are certain quarters within within the work, working classes who would have thought, well, these guys are just the same as us. I mean, you know, we, and there is a precedence for this, isn't there? In, 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 in conflict I looked down at the body and he was just like me but in a different uniform it's the same sort of thing um, it's very boys own it's a very boys own image um, it is and I understand what you're saying because um, a lot of my family were caught in the Manchester Blitz and obviously with relatives working in Metrovix where the bombing of the Manchester happened um, there's a lot of memory there was before obviously gone now, but there was a lot of memory of what that bombing had done and how it had impacted on their lives. And to a certain extent, I think there was this feeling of getting the revenge, but later that started to wane. And I think it happened, okay, 1946, I use the term because it's after the war and people could see what had happened and reflected on it. And there was a an element of, of, of not regret, but concern that maybe it had gone a bit too far. That maybe yeah. it, it just went overkill. Whereas um, back in 19, if you'd have said in 1940 to the people of Manchester, we don't want revenge. Well, I can assure you, having read some of the the uh, mass observation papers, it's pretty clear, not only did they want revenge, they wanted it very quickly, but then within a year, that attitude had changed if you look at mass observation papers later. What concerns me here, and I'm going to take it back to the Arkham Raid of 1943, to a certain extent, we've seen the development of what's actually happened in relation, in terms of technology, in relation to the Arkham Raid of July 1943. Because I think what people don't realise is as soon as 19, as soon as the German army invaded France in May 1940, on the 10th of May 1940, within five, four or five days, Churchill had agreed to the bombing of German cities. And one of the first cities to be attacked on the evening of May the 14th was Aachen. And several of the cities in the Ruhr area. And there's different conversions. If you read Middlebrook, I think they were after going after oil fuel tanks. Yeah. Uh, what a what a bomber was, or series of bombers was doing over the city was chronicled by the city elders of Arkham in their official history. Um, it was only when I went to look at various other papers documented by the Royal Air Force that I'd that I saw that the Arkham raid was a deliberate raid and several airplanes were bombed the city on that day. Um, 
The biggest raid on Arkan happened seven days later. And not only do I have the Royal Air Force record of the bombing raid, but I also have William Shearer, who was the American historian, then working as a war correspondent for a United States uh, newspaper. And he was actually in Arkan. Um, he was in a hotel, which at the time was ac across the road from the main railway station. And he was in the city when the first raid came, when that first heavy raid came in. And he described the rush to the air raid shelters and the German flat guns opening up. And the bombers were aiming for an area around the, the main Hauptbahnhof and the Rota Erde, which is the Red Earth area where the factories used to be. Um, I'm still convinced that the British didn't know that the factories had closed and were bombing empty buildings. Um, there's another interesting aside to all of this. None of the Germans understood why the Royal Air Force was bombing south of the city, which is a huge forest area. And when I first read it, I was astonished because it seemed to be a deliberate ploy. But it wasn't until I actually read um, the Royal Air Force mission statement the plan was <laughs> they were trying to burn Arkham Forest. Oh, right, okay. okay. When the sap's rising, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> 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 okay, lads. <laughs> so I'm a, I was a little bit confused by this, and then I discovered that there was a memo in the Air Ministry stating that Hermann Goering set a lot of... Um, economic ambition and plans for the forests and that by setting fire to the forests that would undermine not the Nazi economy. So there you go, quietness. We <laughs> sat there thinking, hmm, okay, <laughs> yep. whoever dreamt that up had to be living, <laughs> had to be living in La La Land because I just... They, 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 they clearly didn't actually understand, whoever dreamt that up, A, didn't actually understand um, arboriculture whatsoever. Um, B, the, uh, you know, arboriculture at the time wasn't, well, you know, it was just didn't, you know, they were, they were military planners. They, 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 were, they weren't looking at uh, next year's succession and, and, and felling regime. Um, and, and, and C, you know, there, there were, Already, there were there were there were better targets. You know, the 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 synthetic rubber plants, the 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 coal processing plants, coal gas processing. I, yeah, what a strange place to choose. Yeah, I mean, let's go and bomb those those pines. That'll show them. <laughs> Quercus major, catch some of that. Quercus major, by the way, is, is an oak tree. Um, yeah, you know that's where they get the oak leaves from for their for their medals. Oh, we better bomb them bad boys. Then, bomb the oak leaves, and I've got no more heroes. So. Yes. So I was, yeah, so I was very, so let's go back to July 1943. Well, what was interesting about July 1943 was by that stage, Arkan had been bombed quite a lot. Um, just to give you an idea, Arkan between 1940 and May 1944, so May to May, 40 to 44, uh, was bombed by the Royal Air Force 146 times and by the United States Air Force three times. Three American raids were used primarily to test equipment. Um, Arkham, Arkham was the first bombing, the first city on the German border. It was a three hour, a three hour trip from Mildenhof, roughly about 300 miles, nautical miles. And so it was a popular waste waypoint. Also, if the aircraft weren't going to bomb the city, they would formate over Arken. So Arken actually was having um, the air raid sirens going off uh, for more than a thousand times in the war, um, which is why uh, the city people had problems after the war. Um, not just from the sirens, but from the air raids and from the uh, the siege. Um, 
In fact, American psychiatrists said in around about nine, um, December 1944 that we have to move the air raids away from the city because it's still disturbing people very badly. And you start to see the shift in the lines. They're no longer coming over Arkham. So July 1943 isn't exactly at the heart, at, at the very middle, but by the stage July 1943, Arkham had received heavy tonnages of, of uh, high explosives. It had a few incendiaries, but not quite so many. But on July the on the July the 14th, 1943 raid, it was actually billed as an arson raid. Right. And I, it was the first time I'd ever actually seen the Royal Air Force use the term arson. Uh, I was a little bit of a surprise because, as you can imagine, having been trained after university, my first job as an insurance man to become a fire underwriter, Arson is one of those things that we feel very, very uncomfortable about. It's also a word that comes into the German language and. In the 1930s, if you'd have committed arson, you almost certainly if people had lost their lives, you would be executed. And so the gravity of the burning of Arken uh, synagogue by the fire brigade is a reflection of this culture of what burning does and how it impacts on people. So 1938, Arkan Synagogue is burnt. July 1943, Arkan is burnt. Now, there's a lot of discussion in the community that somehow what happened to the Jews in 1938 had led to what happened in 1943. that then comes into that's picked up very strongly in the interrogations by the Americans after the war of the, of the civilian population. They feel that the burning of the city or they felt that the burning of the city was retribution for what had happened so far. Now, the gravity of those discussions and those interrogations was so strong, the Americans put a blanket cover on them and they were not accessible. Sal Padover in 1947 published a book about his interrogations in which some of it's mentioned, but not the great, not to greater detail. And if you look at the American military, civil military government, uh, the civil government troops, they actually refer to this issue of, uh, of burning, not so much the raids where the heavy bombing, heavy high explosive took place, but this one burning session. So they were like pointers to me and I started to think, well, hang on a minute. How unusual is this? And it was very unusual because this raid came at the end of the so-called Ruhr, the Ruhr Rhine battle. So Harris had set a period of bombing of the Rhine cities. So you'd had Essen and Dresden, what have you, uh, not Dresden, um, uh, Dusseldorf and Cologne. They'd all They'd all suffered severe bombing. Um, Kessel in particular had had a serious bombing raid uh, damaging the center of the city. And then he had interspersed that with going to Berlin and other other targets and then came back to the Rhine and Ruhr. And Arkham was at the end, but at being at the end, and it's always the same story, you get to an end point and it's the start of another story. And what intrigued me most about the bombing of Arkham was the next big fire raid was Hamburg. And the destruction of Hamburg, to me, had been first tested on Arkham. It's the first indication I got, and I started to look at some of the the, um, operational research papers. I looked at various other things, the learning curve studies and what have you. And it was pretty clear to me that they were taking them as much information as possible out of that one raid of burning the city. Now, here's a strange thing. The raid did not cause that much, uh, not, not that many casualties, about 294 people were killed. 
about 794 people were wounded and injured. Um, and there's several reasons for that. One was by the stage of the war, the German people of Aachen had got strict air raid discipline. And because the, the Nazis had been forced into building uh, strong air raid shelters across the city, which goes back to the raid of, of May 1940, um, the local people have been so angry they demanded air raid shelters and bunkers and so the Germans had built, the Nazi community had built these shelters and they actually protected the population. So that was the first thing. You've got a, you've got an awful lot of structural damage and of course with that amount of flame buildings become brittle. So yeah. you've got, so not a, so first of all the medieval centre which had been based on wood that vanished. Then you've got the brittle buildings, which were built of very thin materials. They began to collapse and fall apart. And um, the main buildings like this house, and I know the house I'm in at the moment was hit by um, bombs and the whole street was very heavily damaged because we're, we were at the, not quite the epicenter, but fairly close to the center of the heat break uh, the firestorm that was generated in the centre of the town. That kicked off from the old buildings, but, and this was the thing that fascinated me, unlike the other cities, the fires were out by two days. And yet all the public utilities, all the fire brigade services had struggled with that destruction, and there it was, it was out. And I put it down to the fact that the the main buildings, the, the main building program that had been, had been started in about 1900, all of those buildings had survived. And I'm looking across now to a house that was built in 1905. And pretty much all of that front architecture and style and design and architraves, they've all survived. It's the houses that were either much earlier of less quality or those that took a bomb directly or those of the wood, main wood construction, all of those disappeared. So those are your first major gaps in the city. Now, what actually happened next was because there was such a level of burning, people took the opportunity to be evacuated. So you see mass evacuations from the city. At the same time, <clears throat> because Arkham doesn't have the archives, the records, they, they lost them in 1944. So I had to go into various different countries' archives, Britain and principally Britain and America. They actually show that the city still had not recovered from the raid when the next biggest heavy raid was in April 1944. Now that raid was so huge it pretty much ended Arkham as a city. But if you read what the British think at the time, the Royal Air Force think at the time, they assume that the destruction of Arkham in 1943 was so gross, you didn't need to really bomb it again. They do. Um, as usual on Christmas Day, they like to um, bomb the city, um, go out, drop a few bombs and then come back. Um, probably because of Arkham's religious authority as a Catholic state, which is a very bizarre way of looking at things because this is the area which voted against Hitler. Even after that famous first series of elections, this is the place which still held out against him and hence why the Nazis had to put an awful lot of effort in to get this place under control. Bombing Arkham on July in July 1943 pretty much turned the city against the Allies finally. Okay, you were in the war. Now what they've done is actually gone the other way. And you actually see a change in the dimension of the people. And within a year, you actually have um, several incidents where they try to lynch and beat Allied flyers, all of which is not in the history. So if I can, I'm just going to go to the next series of books. I'm going to only talk about this very briefly. Local history, local history. Um, 
doesn't always get into the mainstream. And what we have here in these four books is basically as much of the local history you'll get. So 1960s, 70s, Josef Hoffman produced Heimat, uh, the hometown in flames. Um, Wolfgang Trees and a guy called Charles Whiting, who was a British historian, uh, wrote Diamis in Dar, which then became Bloody Arken in Britain. Uh, Arken in Trunen, that's about the, the rubble and destruction. And then, of course, the last one is the reconstruction. Now, that's the story that pitches in Arkham. Now, most of those books you won't find on the shelves anymore because the story of Arkham bombing is is rapidly disappearing from memory and it's a forgotten subject. So when I went to the to the the military cemetery um, this time, there was nobody. There was nobody there and very few, maybe two flower, sets of flowers and wreaths on, on graves. So I think we've come to the stage where the city now has not so much forgotten, but it's, it's no longer as important as it was when I put that article um, from the local Arca newspaper uh, in the last slide, which shows that it was still frontline news in 1993. It could that anniversary could still attract an awful lot of attention and interest. But I think now we've come to the stage where it's it's passing into history now and the other side of history where, you know, if there isn't the art, if there isn't the documents, if there isn't the books, there isn't the research, then it becomes a forgotten subject. I think this particular, before I say anything else, I, we're at that stage again, aren't we, where this is clearly going to be a, a two-parter um, podcast, if that's all right with you. No problem. Because I think this is quite an important, you know, you raised an exceptionally important part, is that local history um, is exceptionally important. Um, and, and, and and sort of saying, you know, you recounting what happened the other day when you went to the to the graveyard. Time heals all, as they say, and, and I think a lot of that is because the, there's nobody left to tell the tale. Or there's, and, and this isn't some form of historical self-harming, you know, as, as it were. Look at scratching at the picking at the wounds. This is actually one well, trying to understand what makes a, a damaged town what it is, what gives it its resilience, what, what shapes its um, current physical um, appearance, as, as well as how it developed after the war and like you say it was exceptionally interesting that an act which clearly um little was questionable as a firebombing turned what would have been um an exceptionally useful um almost malleable population 18 months down the line when it came to the americans arrival in late 1944 against you know more story towards that of, of, of the nazi um cause rather than them being sort of well yeah he's not really one of us but you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll sit with it to wanting to lynch down flyers and, and beat them and that's a big that's a big sort of uh step change isn't it, it in, is. in, in attitude and, and it shows you that the power uh and the impact of bombing and, and what it could do and i think this was often misunderstood by planners that they thought that if you bomb a population you know they they are going to be less likely. You know that's this they thought they'd be they become more submissive. Well, it didn't happen in you know didn't happen in London certainly. In no, 1940. What, what 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 I wanted to get across here is we're we're creating images. So you have got the image of the Lancaster, but we don't have the image of what the Lancaster meant to the German people. And I just described what happened to the German people. Now, just to give you an idea because I've suggested that, you know, it's forgotten memory. Um, in 2020, when it was the uh, anniversary of the end of the war, the year before, it had been the anniversary of the occupation of Arkham. Now, during that exhibition, there was a model of a Lancaster bomber um, above the exhibition, put over the on the roof there. And 
there was a person saying, you know, Terraflieger. Young person. So, okay, I might well have overstated the fact that it's forgotten and not everybody is forgotten. There are some people who are young and now picking up on the history. What I think's happened with with British and German history is we've somehow become separated. So you've got the German version of events and you've got the British version of events, but there's no connection between the two. And and from to my mind, it's linking the British version, the German version, and using the German literature with the British files to create an impression of what actually happened in that right. Because you can't really tell the truth. You can only get an impression. And then that's quite important, isn't it? It's looking at, the, you know, get, getting as much source information as you can. Um, and, and, and telling, using that to tell the story rather than being, as has happened in the past and I'm sure will happen in the future, taking source information from one side of the of, of the of the fence. You know, there's there's a wonderful um, Mimi doing the rounds at the moment, isn't there? The, the two sides um, separated by water, both cities are exactly the same. Our glorious leader, their despot. Um, and showing that separation of understanding, and I think we have to have for history now, as it's as it's progressing, becoming a little bit more sophisticated. We have to be we have to be equally sophisticated in how we approach it, and how we deal with it, and how we interpret it. Yeah, because I think I, I'm quite interested in looking at the Lancaster because, as I've said, I, I I had family who were involved in not only building the aircraft that's in Hendon. Um, but I had family who worked for Avros and it's pretty much, you know, stamped on people from the generation of Mancunians that I come from, that Avros, the Lancaster bomber, that whole story is part of the identity of the city. Hmm. But it's not the idea <laughs> for all of its power and destruction. That's not the image of the city of Arkan and Arkan suffered most under the Lancaster. And it has a state, it has the right to make a statement about what the Lancaster represents. And I think to a certain extent, those two representations of the Lancaster need to be remarried. They've somehow become divorced. And the Lancaster, I know a lot of people will say, yeah, I'm anti-bomber command. Well, they'll probably have to wait to part two to decide whether I'm really am anti-bomber command or <laughs> or something else. But the point of this, the point I'm trying to make here is. There are casualties. We have to understand why those casualties occurred the way they are. Now, you probably noticed I'm not mentioning massive numbers of casualties. Similarly, I'm not talking about huge numbers of airplanes. 329 airplanes did this raid. And afterwards, we found the casualties. Those bodies were still being found a year later. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the story is it's more complex. It's a complicated story of, of of not just the raid. It's the operational research people trying to understand it afterwards. It's the management of the Royal Air Force trying to use it to a to a different and manipulate it to a different target and then taking lessons from that target and then driving them home. And then so it, it, to me, it's a very large process. And um, OK, I've taken a raid, one particular raid, and I've tried to extrapolate from it. And when we talk next time, I'll continue to extrapolate because what happens afterwards is as complicated to understand as actually getting there. I mean, I've made it very simple, but if you actually look at having to put all of the pieces together, it took two years to just work out the July 1943 raid. Okay. It really is a very bits and pieces exercise. And, and, and I'm glad you've sort of you've made that point because it just shows you how complex understanding history, and especially conflict history, um, is. Um, and I use the term conflict history because we, we're looking beyond the, the military. We're looking at the effects of the civilian population too. And, and I think that for me personally, I'm I'm happy using that particular term because I feel it's right. Um, 
Well, conflict history is in a parallel to with me, which is to be looking, I call it politics of violence. Um, I've, I'm now working in the field of politics of violence rather than military history. And, and that gives me an easier way to examine the relationship between the airmen. Uh, and funny enough, I actually had an airman in the raid. Well, my great uncle was flying a Lancaster, sergeant pilot, um, in that raid. Um, as much as I am looking at the people who were who were affected by the raid, many of whom I got to meet, which is quite unusual. I mean, maybe we'll get to a point in talking about it, but <laughs> but at first, <laughs> I have to say, none of them thought that I was a Tommy, because when they were describing Tommy, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> Tom, Tommy had ruined their evening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that you know it's not a pleasant subject but there are humorous moments uh, human moments as well aren't they uh, as much as yeah it's, it's, yeah it, and, it, and it's um i think we'll, we'll because there is there is more to come from this clearly um and yeah we, we, we won't give you spoilers um but please do um keep an eye out we'll, we'll, we'll be back in a week's time uh continuing the story continuing the thread um with with phil sort of lending give, leading us down areas of thought that perhaps we we ignore um and, and we we've overlooked so thanks for your time today uh phil really appreciating and sharing your expertise and um and your knowledge as well as finding those wonderful book covers um and and, and the artwork from alvaro um listeners that's it for for, for this particular agents lounge um phil and i are now going to re retire to the uh to the anteroom grab some, grab a couple of ports a couple of cigars um and, and maybe we can get the chef to rustle us up a curry um failing that i think you might be having to send out one of the subaltons for a mcdonald's and uh, <laughs> <laughs> As it were, we haven't got any subaltons yet. Well, well, we're not going to have any subaltons in the entrance lounge. They they sit on the other side of the door, as they say. Um, <laughs> that's why we had a barn door in, installed so we could bellow demands at them. <laughs> yes, duty oik. <laughs> Have you been have you been duty oik in the past? Yes, I was actually called duty oik. <laughs> duty oik, go and get me twenty Benson and edges. <laughs> and a copy of the Racing Post. I kid you not. Uh, happy days. <laughs> Territorial Army. What 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 a foundation for the flower of Britain's youth. <laughs> Um, thank you once again, <laughs> Phil. It's been it's really enjoyable, as always. Really, really enjoyable. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you very much, Ben. It's been great. Uh, and, and listener, we'll, we'll be back uh, with Dr. Philip Blood in a week's time. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, tuning in. Have a lovely evening wherever you are in the world. Stay, Take care, stay safe. Um, and most importantly of all, keep thinking. And, and that's me from from the Ashton's Lounge, TTFN, and sleep well wherever you are.